Bible Biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Luke. Luke, I think we know, wrote the Gospel of Luke, but um, I think was responsible for another part of the New Testament. That's right. He was responsible both for Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts. How do we know? Well, because in the introduction to both of them, he references someone called Theophilus. And this is someone who was the sponsor of the book. You know, in those days, remember, uh, publishing and printing was a pretty expensive thing, buying parchment, ink, uh, a scribe and so on. Uh, And so it wasn't unusual at all to have a sort of uh, publisher figure behind you, a, a promoter, someone who put up the money for it. And scholars think it's possibly uh, this guy, Theophilus, who's mentioned in both the beginning of Luke and Acts. And in Acts, he says, in my former book, O Theophilus, and there's the hint, my former book Hmm. is Luke. So we're looking at the guy who's responsible for Luke's gospel, one of those great accounts of the life of Jesus, and then the book of Acts, the great account of the life of the early church. So Actually, Luke is a significant contributor to the New Testament. Add those two together, that comes to about 27% of the New Testament that Luke wrote. Add the fact that he's a Gentile, and we've got 27% of the New Testament written by the only Gentile contributor to the Bible. Oh, well, so he's different to to, to, to many others. Was Was he a writer then? Was he an author? He wasn't. He was actually um, a doctor by background, and we know that because Paul actually refers to that in one of his letters. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, he talks about Luke, the beloved doctor. (laughs) The beloved doctor. So that tells you two things. One, the job that he'd done all his life. Two, the relationship he had with Paul and Both of those come out, I think, quite significantly in his writings. A doctor, what did that mean? It meant by his natural inclination and his training, he was a guy who really cared about both people and detail. And both of those come out in both the book of Acts and in the Gospel of Luke. Incredible detail at times and also incredible compassion. We we get pictures in the Gospel of Luke more in depth than in any of the others. So we get really vivid portraits of people like Zachariah and Mary and Elizabeth and and uh, the Roman centurion at the cross. He was he was really interested in people. He was really interested in detail. And this almost certainly came out of his background and his training as the doctor. And the beloved doctor, because him and Paul became really really good friends. We find Luke teaming up with Paul uh, in the book of Acts that suddenly the the narrative changes from they to we. And suddenly Luke has obviously joined the team and the we continues throughout the second half of Acts. So he was one of Paul's apostolic team there on ministry with him and they clearly became really good friends. So Luke, the beloved Doctor. You mentioned attention to detail. Now, some of us have got more of an interest in 
detail than others. <laughs> um, the fact that he was interested in that sort of detail, though, how, how does that come out? Can you give us an example of, of when that was important? Well, I think perhaps rather than giving you an example of such, if I just take one step back that shows perhaps the importance of the detail rather than it as such, though little details like the correct name of places, the correct titles of officials. It's that sort of micro detail um, that he has. But perhaps I could just read to you, David, the the first opening verses of Mm. Luke's gospel, Mm. where he begins by saying, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honourable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So what does he tell us there? He tells us that he has done a really careful research and analysis of the data about Jesus He was not one of the original disciples, but he's gone back to the original disciples, to the sources that they wrote, some of which no longer exist for us today. He's gone back to, he says, eyewitness reports. He's then carefully investigated those and cross-referenced them and so on so that he can produce what he calls this accurate account view. So, Detail for him was really important. And again, as a doctor, as a good doctor, getting things right was really important. Mm. So we do see that reflected in a whole host of little details. But for me, the bigger picture is that what we have here in Luke is a really well-written source document about Jesus to enable us to know what it is that Christian faith is built on, the teaching and the acts of Jesus uh, here carefully logged for us, having been carefully checked out right back to the beginning. And that's why this is such a great gospel to read. And I get the impression from what you're saying that he's not just writing it just to be factually correct, but because he wanted to ensure that it was so accurate that he would be able to stake his life on it. Absolutely, and that others could stake their life on it too. So he said in that introduction that he wanted Theophilus to be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Now, at the end of the day, we all know there is an element of faith comes in, but Christianity is not about blind faith. It's not about a leap in the dark. It is pretty much like scientists do. You look at the evidence, you see where the evidence is leading and going, And eventually you have to follow that trajectory. That's what scientists do. And they keep following it until they discover that's not the way to go. And in a sense, Christianity is the same. We've got this data in the Gospels about the life of Jesus that set us on a trajectory of who this man was, what he did, what he taught, what he wants for us, and an invitation to join that trajectory. And as we explore it and build down our lives on it, we discover it works, and it is true. And you said earlier that there's also a sense of compassion that comes through based on his background as a doctor. So as a doctor, he had a good bedside manner, presumably. How is that illustrated? How is that compassionate outlook demonstrated? One of the 
big things that stand out in, in Luke's gospel. And, and perhaps we should say, you know, why have we got four gospels? Because we've got four viewpoints, four different interests by four different authors telling substantially the same stories, sometimes using the very same material, but, but each of them having perhaps a particular interest. And, you know, Luke had a number of interests out of him being that doctor, people, uh, and the good news for people. So as we read his gospel, what we find is um, Jesus having huge compassion for the poor and for the marginalized uh, of society in, in particular. And in fact, it, it comes out right at the beginning where uh, the angels and the Christmas, what we know as the Christmas story, uh, come and tell us that this message that this newborn baby will bring is good news that will bring joy to all people. It really was a gospel for all people, uh, whether the marginalized, both Jew and Gentile, by the way, both appear uh, as reflected in his, you know, his careful uh, choice of stories. So he's, he's got a real care for, for women, for children, uh, for the marginalized, for the outsider. This is a gospel that's not just for the religious elite. This is a gospel for those ordinary people, and especially those ordinary people uh, who can very easily feel on the edge of life. And I suppose because, as you said, he's a Gentile, and all the other eyewitness accounts would have been from Jews, this was intentionally a very different sort of summary. Yes, and we, we keep finding emphases throughout the gospel on this sort of, this really was um, for the whole world. It emphasises the universal nature of of salvation. So, uh, again, right at the beginning, he, he talks about the salvation in one of the prophetic songs which God had prepared in the sight of all people, not in the sight of the Jewish people, but in the sight of all people. Uh, and while several of the gospel writers will quote from Isaiah at that point, only Luke adds the words, and all mankind will see the salvation of the Lord. And then we get specific stories like um, the thankful Samaritan, uh, the, the stress on neighborliness, whoever your neighbor is. The, you know, the, the parable of the good Samaritan was told to answer the question, who is my neighbor? And the answer is anybody who needs you, even those who you thought in the past you hated. So a tremendous emphasis in Luke on the universal nature of the gospel. And of course, that then comes out even more when we get to the book of Acts. Because while the early chapters of Acts are focused on Jerusalem and Judea, what had Jesus said before he had left his disciples? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's like a stone dropped in a pond that ripples outwards. And that's the pattern Luke follows in the book of Acts. So the first six, seven chapters focus very much on Jerusalem and Judea. But after the martyrdom, of Samaria, the Christians start to get scattered. Where do they get scattered to? 
the, the neighbouring state, as it were, the neighbouring region, which is Samaria, and the gospel impacts there. And then it goes further north and reaches Antioch, which is Gentile territory. And from Acts chapter 13, Antioch, the elders are praying and fasting and seeking God, and the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas to the work to which I've called them, and they get sent out, and so start the great missionary journeys. So the whole of Acts is is about a gospel, is about good news, is about salvation. That's one of Luke's favourite words for not just the in crowd, not just the Jewish community, not just the religious elite, but people of all kinds and types, the upper class and the marginalised, the Jew and the Gentile. This really is good news for everyone. So this portrait of Jesus that Luke is painting isn't a different Jesus to a Jesus we read in the other Gospels, obviously, <laughs> but it's making a point, as you said, that Jesus is for everyone. Now, how, how, how do we apply that today? Because is, is there a danger that sometimes we, we sometimes perhaps don't realise that Jesus is for everyone? Yeah, I suppose, look, all of us instinctively fall back into our comfort zones, don't we? You know, who are we most easily, who do we most easily socialise with? Well, the truth is people like us, people who live in our sort of homes and our sort of neighbourhood and who have our sort of job. And there's something within us that does that, um, not because we're racist or partisan, but because that's where we are most comfortable. And so I think still today for us as individual Christians and as communities of his people, as churches, it's it's easy for us to settle for what is comfortable rather than following our master, as we see in Luke and in Acts, as someone who reaches out to all kinds of people. Now, if we're in the middle of a particular type of neighbourhood, then inevitably that's going to be our first mission field. But if that's all that we have a heart for, then the Jesus we have is not really the Jesus of the Gospels. And you're right, you know, this is not a different Jesus. It's the same Jesus. It's the same stories. It's just that Luke, out of his particular interest, has chosen to focus on certain things. So if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, as Luke wants us to be from the writing of these books, then our hearts have to be hearts that are open to people of all social backgrounds, all jobs and none, or all nations. We can't be a church unless we've got a heart for mission. And that doesn't just mean putting our hands in our pockets occasionally, but maybe engaging in mission ourselves as a church beyond ourselves. It means having evangelistic strategies that will reach all kinds of people, because that's the Jesus that Luke gives us in his gospel and in Acts. Just to pick up on one thing, yes, he was well-educated. And by the way, we see that in the very Greek that he writes. It's a very polished Greek, a very refined Greek, very different to Mark's gospel, which is really rough and ready <laughs> in the Greek. So this this is a guy who definitely is um, well-educated, but who wants to use his education for the purposes of of serving the Lord. What most surprises you about the Jesus that Luke is describing? I think there's a number of things, but I, 
I think one of the things that that definitely uh, comes out is uh, Luke's interest in in Jesus the man, and not just a man, as we've seen in previous episodes. We saw Jesus is God the Son come into this world through the miracle of the virgin birth, the incarnation. And yet what Luke shows us is this man, a real man. He he talks a couple of times in his early chapters where he looks at Jesus's uh, life as a, as a child and as a, a young boy. And he talks about how Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and all the people. Uh, elsewhere, he says, the child grew up healthily and became strong, was filled with wisdom and God's favor. So in other words, he does believe in the incarnation. Jesus truly became fully, completely a real human being. And so we get, you know, insights uh, into that human being, like at the temptation of Jesus. But the thing that stands out for me is how he stresses that Jesus was a man of the Spirit. So if Jesus, the Son of God, truly had become man, how, how could he do all his miracles? How could he have all his insight? Well, it wasn't because he was like a superman. You know, you know the story of Superman, you know, when there's a, a distress call goes out, he finds a telephone box, whisks in, rips off his shirt, and underneath is, is Superman. He's not really Clark Kent. He's, he's Superman underneath. That's not the picture we get of Jesus in the Gospels. It is a picture of God truly become man, sinless man, but fully man. So how can this man now do all this stuff? Only one way, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we find a huge emphasis in Luke, both actually in his gospel and in the book of Acts, uh, an emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit, both in the life of Jesus uh, and in the life of his followers. So He's very clear that Jesus is conceived by the visitation of the Holy Spirit on Mary throughout his ministry. It's the Holy Spirit uh, coming upon Jesus. He goes out of his way to stress how in the synagogue at Nazareth in Luke 4, Jesus quotes from that passage of Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me mm. to bring good news to the poor. Why can he do this? Because he is the spirit anointed man. So constantly we get these themes of the Spirit. Obviously in Acts, the falling of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, on many occasions thereafter. So I love this emphasis of Luke, that we've got a real Jesus, a Jesus who was fully human like you and I, who had to grow up like you and I, yet who can be all that God sent him to be, not by some miraculous superpowers tucked in his top pocket, but by utter and complete dependence on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So Luke sort of comes onto the scene. I mean, he wasn't a disciple, as we've said, um, but he obviously must have become a believer then as a doctor. Is that, as you understand it, what must have happened? Yes, though we don't really know how and where. He, he simply... Um, appears on the scene. And, and, and the first time we actually come across him is in, in Acts chapter 16, um, where Paul is on his second missionary journey. 
And in, in Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 10, we, we suddenly find this is, this is just after uh, Paul has had his vision of the man of Macedonia. He's on his second missionary journey. He's been visiting some of the churches he visited on the first journey. He's in parts of what we would call Turkey. And he says, I tried to enter here and tried to get in there. And the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow us. And you can almost feel the frustration. And then we uh, get this vision that Paul has in the night, a vision of a man from Macedonia, what we would call modern Greece, who says to him, come over and help us. And Paul suddenly sees, yep, that's what it is. God doesn't want us working here. He wants us crossing over into Macedonia, into what would now, of course, be modern-day Europe. And after that little story of the man from Macedonia, we read this in Acts chapter 16, verse 10. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. We Luke is suddenly now there mm. in the story. Now, now, where has he come into it? Mm. He obviously just doesn't appear overnight there. The short answer is we don't know. But from this point on, Luke now becomes a co-worker uh, with Paul and accompanies him on several missionary journeys, and, and we'll find him referred to at, at several places and referred to in some of Paul's letters. Um, there's actually... There's only three specific references uh, to him actually in in Paul's letters. One is in uh, Philemon, where he describes Luke and some others as fellow workers. Uh, one's in 2 Timothy, where he talks about only Luke is with me. That's at a time when Paul was now uh, under arrest for the final time and facing death. And one is in Colossians, where he talks about Luke, the beloved physician. So... We don't get lots of references direct to him, but it's clear from those we passages that Luke now becomes a key part of Paul's apostolic team, ministry team, missionary team, call it what you will. Hmm. So wherever he came from, where did he come from? Where, where, where was he born? Well, we're not told. Um, there's no evidence in the scriptures for that, but there is an early church tradition that he came from Antioch. Up north. Up north, uh, just at the sort of top end where the Mediterranean suddenly bends itself westward on, on that corner. Um, it, it's in an earlier, early uh, Christian document called the Anti-Marcionite Prologue, which is a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? But an early Christian document refers to Luke having come from Antioch. Now, it could make good sense. We know that Antioch became the missionary base of the early church. In fact, one of the big transitions that that happens in Acts is Jerusalem is the focus of everything in the early chapters. But because Jerusalem seemed to get stuck, you remember what Jesus had said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And mm. the Jerusalem church seemed to think he'd said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Jerusalem and Judea and Jerusalem and Judea. <laughs> and even when God sent a bit of persecution, they only got as far as Samaria. Mm. Um, but some of those early converts travel north and they find uh, a base in Antioch. And Antioch, a key regional city in terms of commerce and trade and travel, um, is 
uh, becomes a key city for the growth of the gospel. And that's where Paul and Barnabas become based. So it makes a lot of sense that it could well be that they had first met Luke there in Antioch. And maybe he'd actually even been with them from the beginning of that second missionary journey, but only puts the we in at that point. So the short answer is we don't know, but Antioch seems the most likely place. So Again, Gentile territory, a Gentile convert, not a Jew. And as you say, because there's this change where he speaks from his perspective, so he's part of the story, he's part of the growth of the church, he's involved with all that's going on in in the book of Acts on a very personal level. Yeah, he's not sort of what we call an ivory tower theologian. You know, there are some theologians today who just spend their whole life tucked away in libraries and seminaries and, and come up with these wonderful theories and ideas but it's completely disconnected from real life. And in my experience, the best theologians are theologians who are engaged in real church life. And I've had the privilege of knowing many of those and working with many of those. And that's what Luke was. I mean, I think there's no doubt he's a theologian. His construction of the book of Luke and the book of Acts shows careful, not just construction, but reflection. This is a careful theologian. He has key themes running throughout, like care for the poor, like the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, uh, like uh, an emphasis on prayer, That's and that's another one of his, and the emphasis on joy and the global nature of the gospel. So there's real theological reflection, but this is by a man whose feet were on the ground. This is by a man who walked where Paul walked, who was there when the preaching was done, who who no doubt helped with the counselling at the end of Paul's sermons, and who will end up alongside Paul in jail as well in those uh, later passages. Only Luke is with me when he's at last in jail and I'm, I'm waiting for death to come, and the faithful friend is still there, probably not under arrest himself, but just there alongside visiting, helping, supporting. So a theologian, but a theologian with his feet firmly on the ground and with a firm passion for people to encounter Jesus and the salvation that Jesus brings. And if he hadn't have recorded the story of the growth of the church, we would be without a, that would be a big loss. Well, it would be a huge loss, wouldn't it? Because we would just have had no record at all of what happened between Jesus returning to his father and, and sort of where we are today. So we we owe Luke a, a great deal. Now, he doesn't tell us everything. I mean, his focus is particularly on the growth from Jerusalem to Rome. There's a pattern to the book of Acts. He's eager to show us how the gospel started out in in Jerusalem, yes, of huge significance spiritually to the Jewish heritage, but frankly, on the world scale, an insignificant backwater city. How the gospel grows from there and expands and cannot be stopped despite everything that is thrown at it. Martyrdom, arrests, shipwrecks, snake bites, you name it, they're all there in Acts, but this gospel cannot be stopped. And it reaches all the way to Rome. And so we, we end up the, the book of Acts with, with Luke 
noting that at this point Saul's not under arrest, but he's in the, what we would call house arrest rather than in prison. And um, the book of Acts ends up with how Paul, for the next two years, lived in Rome at his own expense and welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. So the gospel can't be stopped. But, of course, this is all heading to the West. Meanwhile, the gospel was spreading elsewhere that the Bible doesn't tell us about, but, again, early church traditions too. And, and one of the earliest church traditions is that Thomas, yes, doubting Thomas, meanwhile took the gospel to the East and even reached India. And there's a denomination in India to this day uh, called the uh, Martamite uh, community um, that believe that they were originally founded by the Apostle Thomas. So this gospel is growing, and that's what Luke's second volume tells us, that the story that began in his gospel, the story of Jesus who changes lives, is a story that still continues to that day. And, of course, the very fact that Acts is left open-ended, it's almost like you want to say, and then what? Well, actually, from his letters, we can work out a bit what. seems like Paul was released, travelled again further, possibly reached Spain, but was eventually arrested, taken back to Rome, put in jail, and then was executed. But it's left open-ended deliberately as a way of communicating to us that this powerful gospel that began in Jesus Christ is still expanding through the world and still can't be stopped as it still can't be stopped today. So a final thought on, on Luke and his life. I love Luke because he's a careful theologian with his feet on the ground. And that's what I've tried to be in my own personal life. Uh, I've been a lecturer, a visiting lecturer in many seminaries around the world. I love theology, but I love people and I love church and I love intermingling the two. And I suppose he's a challenge to us whether we're theologians or not, or just ordinary Christians and church members that, look, going deep into God's word and going deep into real practical living for Jesus are not opposites. These two go together. The deeper we go into God's word, the deeper our practical living should be. The deeper we want our practical living to be, we cannot do it without going deep into God's word. So for me, Luke models this that the two belong together, the two that testify to the heart of his gospel and his acts, that in this man Christ Jesus, God came into the world to save people, people of every background and colour and race and creed, and that wherever we come from and whatever we've been, we, like Luke, can find new life and new adventures in Jesus. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.